What's up, y'all? Welcome to Conversation Piece with Patrick Armstrong. I am the titular Patrick, and this is a show where we talk about the missing pieces of the conversations we're already having. Shout out to all our returning listeners and a high five and hello to everybody joining us for the very first time. I appreciate you being here with us in 2024. My guest today is a comic artist, writer, and colorist who has been attending anime and comic conventions since 1999 and loves to cosplay, lift weights, and cook. They are best known for their work as an artist on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Saturday Morning Adventures comic series, as well as their debut graphic novel, Monstrous, a transracial adoption story. It is my honor and privilege to welcome Sarah Meyer to the show. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm really glad to meet you face to face because I've been following your, your account on Instagram for a while and I appreciate all that you do. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for those kind words. I really appreciate it. We have been connected for some time. And I said this before we hopped on air, but I'm going to say it again. I feel like this is a long time coming. Um, you have been not only, like you said, supporting me online, but we have been, I feel like trying to have a conversation about <laughs> Monstrous for a little bit. And I have just recently finished and it is absolutely incredible and one of the best depictions of an adoptee's experience that I have ever laid eyes upon, especially over the last three years as I've been on this journey. So thank you for this work. And thank you for being patient with me as we get oh, this conversation set up. No worries. Um, I hope Don Rosa isn't tuning in, but uh, I, I actually still have two volumes of the life and times of Scrooge McDuck that I got for Christmas <laughs> in 2022 that I haven't finished reading yet. So yeah, I, I completely understand. I think everybody has a lot of like reading lists and to-do lists with that. So <laughs> yeah, the TBR list, which I did not know what that, I'd never heard of that term until like two years ago. And mm -hmm. I, I all of a sudden completely understand it because I've got books on the bookshelf that I am still working through that I've pulled out. And my wife, is furious every time I come home with oh. more books because she's like, we don't have any space for this. And I'm like, but I got to read them and I'm going to read them. They're, they're just over here. It's totally fine. So right. <laughs> um, I gave you a little bit of an introduction here, but for folks who are listening who may not know who you are, do you mind sharing just a little bit more about yourself? Uh, sure. I So I was born in 1986 in uh, Seoul, South Korea. Uh Allegedly, I guess, at least due to, you know, <laughs> according to the paperwork. Um, and I was adopted and um, I grew up on a 10 acre farm in rural uh, northern Baltimore County, Maryland, uh, and uh, in a really big sort of, uh, or I should, it was not a big town. It was a small town that was big into football and, and mm. the like. So, um, and uh, there was not a lot of diversity. Uh, and uh, you'll hear probably a little bit more about that later. But uh, ever since I was a little kid, like as for as long as I can remember, my earliest memories are going to see The Little Mermaid in the theater in 1989 with my mom. And then uh, I cannot really remember a time when as a young, very small child, I was not watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on TV and other uh cartoons that many people of a similar age will probably, um, uh, you know, also recall watching incessantly. Um, and ever since I can remember, I've wanted to be an artist of some sort. I wanted to be an animator for some years. Um, but, uh, once I sort of realized that, you know, it, it was like, as I got older, when it was going into more CGI and, um, 
which is amazing. I, I realized though, I'm, I'm more all about just the, the pen and paper and the line art drawing. So, mm. um, I, I kind of switched slightly and went off into a little bit of a tra trajectory, um, into comics. And, uh, so basically telling stories through art has always been my dream. And, um, after quite some time, I've been able to, um, realize that. And I'm very thankful for the opportunities I've had recently. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I definitely watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles growing up. <laughs> I remember very much being into Yu-Gi-Oh! and Dragon Ball Z because they were on back-to-back -back on Saturday mornings before I would have to go do whatever <laughs> activity that I was in. So those were two of the ones that I really liked. I also liked like Digimon yeah. and um, the Pokemon cartoon was on oh, at yeah. that time <laughs> like there were a whole plethora of things and those are the ones that really stuck out because literally saturday mornings were when i don't i for whatever reason we had like a small tv in the dining room and i was mm -hmm. able to just sit and watch and my mom would be like all right turn that off we have to leave what other cartoons and stuff stuck out to you like you were really watching at that time uh you know your your experience uh watching cartoons up until the moment that you have to leave or uh, <laughs> you know in the morning maybe uh was um, my experience with Sailor Moon, mm. uh, the the original Deke uh, dub that aired in the early 90s. Um, and I watched that on syndicated television. The funny thing was, I I remember that half the episodes that I watched uh, when I first stumbled upon it, it was like UPN Channel 20 in Baltimore mm. um, before. And we didn't have cable growing up. So that was just like a syndicated you know channel. And it I could not see the picture clearly because we had an antenna. Like, I feel like I might be dating myself to some of your your <laughs> listeners, and I might be a hair older than you, I think, maybe. I was born in 90, so just okay, a few just, years, yeah, not just too much. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, so we're, we're still from that that same sort of late 80s, early 90s uh, generation, and um, yeah, I Sailor Moon was really formative, and then um, before that, I think even was, um, or about the same time maybe, was uh, Mighty Max, which needs more love that it starred rob paulson you know the famous oh yes uh okay. yeah as as max and it was basically poly pocket for boys was the toys that had come out they were like clamshell cases and they would open up and it was a play set and there was one where it was like max in the magma layer of skull master or something and it would be little <laughs> tiny toys and um they made a cartoon uh that was based on that in the early 90s and it starred um Richard Mull, I believe, as Norman, the guardian, and uh, Tony Jay uh, as Virgil, the uh, guiding chicken. And then Max was this like blonde haired kid who looks sort of like the Burger King Kids Club leader <laughs> from that time, like had the sideways, you know, baseball hat. Yep. And, um, and it, but they visited new settings every day. My dad and I actually used to watch Mighty Max on syndicated television, like at 630 in the morning or something before I had to leave for elementary school. So yeah. I love that. I it love was that. such a memory. <laughs> I can totally resonate because we also had an antenna, no cable. And yeah. I had, we had the little thing that you could like, you had to turn it, the dial <laughs> to like move the antenna to catch the right signal. Mm -hmm. um, but my first experience, so Sailor Moon is very formative within Monstrous. And my first experience with Sailor Moon was actually on Cartoon Network. And I mm. only could watch that on cable at my grandma's house. Yeah. Which was also the place that I found myself watching like anime anime shows that are outside of Dragon Ball Z, like with right. like on Toonami. And cable was like this entryway into a whole new world. 
Oh yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, kind of similar for, for me in terms of like, I, I had friends who had cable and I'm sure I was a little bit like crazed in a way, you know, about it. If, if my friends had, uh, you know, a PC with a color printer first, and if, if their internet was faster than ours, when we got like dial up, I was <laughs> yep. like, can I come to your house and download Sailor Moon GIFs, you know, um, or GIFs, however, you know, but, um, and yeah, uh, I, this is weird, but even like, I have a very early memory of, uh, so my grandfather on my mom's side lived briefly with our family in, uh, what then became later my sister's bedroom. And mm. weirdly, like he had his own, uh, phone line and his own sort of TV setup there. It was like a separate kind of thing. And, I remember as a really, really young toddler, like before he moved out, I have a vague memory of going up there and watching cable on his television. It was only on his. And watching Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters. Oh, sure. It was an episode where like, I have this vivid memory of getting scared and, and deciding I didn't want to watch it because they were like running from a giant pizza that had appeared in the sky and like smashed like on the road. And I don't know why that <laughs> terrified me as a kid. I, I think it just it I, I suddenly I think I misinterpreted that scene as a child and thought, oh, no, they've been shrunken. What's going on? Like, <laughs> And I just ran. I was like, never mind. But and I, that's like the only memory I have of like watching TV in his room. And then uh, but yeah, when I was older, I definitely like I was so jealous of my friends who had uh, cable and watched Toonami. Um, yeah, I watched like I, I got Outlaw Star, though, and some of the other anime that was on it okay. on VHS. I collected the the videotapes from like Bandai at the time yeah, was yeah, releasing yeah. it. Yeah. It's so interesting to me how a lot of these cartoons and stuff that were coming out, like you said, you know, Mighty Max was based on a toy. Yeah. How they made so many cartoons out of these toy figures and stuff. And then a decade, two decades later, we're seeing all of these live action versions. And now you have like Barbie even has this live action yeah. movie that are like these huge blockbuster things. I'm waiting for a Sailor Moon live action adaptation. And I'm oh, trying man. to think that there was at one time. There was a rumor. There was okay, a lot of rumors. Yes. And I remember being very excited about it because somebody had done like a, uh, at the time, I guess it was sort of an early CG kind of rendering where they mm. were like, uh, it was it was like they had uh, photoshopped, I guess, I, I maybe not like 3D CG modeling, but like photoshopped a photo of a real woman, some just random woman and had like it, they had it as like the repeating background on their, you know, Alta Vista <laughs> website, you know, their AOL homepage or something. And there was a rumor that Gina Davis uh, was going to, wanted to play Queen Beryl. And I remember going to the local library getting on the the computers there uh, for the inter the the you know the yep. world wide web and yep. like reading about it and going this is going to be amazing and everybody at my school's going to see this movie when it stars um Alicia Silverstone as Sailor Moon as Serena and I thought everybody's going to think it's so cool and they'll realize you know speaking of like all of these different cartoons that not only were formative in our childhood but it but inspirations to mm -hmm. particularly the work that you do. You know, I said at the top, I recently finished Monstrous. And again, in my opinion, one of the best depictions of an adoptee's experience that I've ever taken in. And throughout, there are just so many references and even just really great depictions of some of these different things like Sailor Moon, like the Turtles. Um, 
I think that it's what's really interesting to me about it as a graphic novel. I feel like it blurs the line of fiction and nonfiction in a way that you <laughs> don't see very often, but it's very much your story. For people mm-hmm. who haven't read it, can you give us like a high level overview? Sure. Um, I will describe it like it's just a, a third person summary. Um, so there's this kid named Sarah, who is a South Korean adoptee, uh, um, who grows up in a rural you know, town and who, um, one of the earliest experiences that Sarah has is seeing the little mermaid becomes obsessed with cartoons and animation, um, always kind of, uh, seems to delve into their imagination, you know, when, when Sarah's thinking about situations that happen in, in preschool through all the way up through the end of high school. And, and it gets more and more, I think, uh, emotionally caustic, um, the, the things that Sarah imagines, but it starts out as things as simple as, uh, I'm a little bit too rowdy, uh, at preschool and the kids don't want to play with me. So I'm kind of envisioning myself like I'm this giant monster, like the kind of thing I might see in a cartoon. And then, uh, as Sarah sort of experiences racism, um, from a variety of sources, uh, and bullying at school, um, Sarah starts to internalize that racism and that monster figure develops into an embodiment of just internalized racism. We see the toll that it takes on Sarah's mental well-being and emotional well-being, but through it all, you keep seeing these depictions of, um, Sarah's, uh, way of kind of coping a little bit uh, or, or reframing some of these real life situations through the lens of say Pokemon, um, mm. you know, dealing with a, a, a falling out with a friend that really felt like a huge emotional betrayal. And Sarah's like, maybe it's like Ash and Gary, who knows, you know, that kind of <laughs> is helping, helping Sarah a little bit. Um, sure. Sarah also explores um, their gender really uh, uh, in their teenage years because they start to realize they, relate to and and maybe always kind of have related to male characters just as much, if not more uh, than the female characters. But Sarah desperately wants this vivid, colorful inner imagination world to be uh, their reality. And um, towards the end of the book, uh, no spoilers, I guess, I don't know. Um, uh, Sarah comes to a internal kind of conclusion and realizes that that can happen just through Sarah's own um, I guess, esteem, you know, coming sure. to terms with, with who Sarah really wants to be. I love it. Um, when did you first realize you were going to, you wanted to tell your story in this way? Honestly, that came maybe later than you might expect. Uh, I would say about in 2016, um, maybe a bit earlier, but, uh, so I going back to grad school, uh, and for my, um, MFA thesis, um, I actually, uh, for, for my degree, um, my master's degree in, in comics, basically, um, the requirements were we had to write an academic thesis and we had to have a 20 page visual component. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had been at the time experimenting with kind of journal comics, you know, uh, where I sort of say like, you know, I draw a comic and it's, it's kind of quick. And it's like, Oh, the other day I was at the mall and this kid was staring at me and asked, you know, said this and here's how it made me feel. And I depicted that. And I had, uh, kind of been dabbling with using comics to express, um, things that are very difficult to 
put into words sometimes things like, um, you know, internalized racism that I've been really struggling with my whole life. Um, but, but that I was old enough at that point, you know, in 2016 to really understand what I was experiencing with that sure. and as well as phobias, um, and, uh, just trying to, to find a way to like bridge that gap between how you see the world and what you're thinking and just really wanting to like show people what what you're seeing in your mind's eye you know and yeah. and hopefully expressing the emotion um through that and comics was just such an effective vehicle for that um Jean Luen Yang's American Born Chinese had a huge influence on my thesis um it, in fact it's one of the comics cited in the thesis cuz i i decided to write my thesis about how one can depict uh, or draft their own self identity through drawing an autobiographical comic. And that thesis visual component is actually what led to uh, my editor on Monstrous um, approaching me about the book. So I I fell into Monstrous in a way that I wasn't shopping it around to people. I had hoped to one day maybe, you know, uh, publish something based on those um, kind of journal comics and that uh, thesis, but you can find a prototype of that, uh, of Monstrous effectively on the SCAD website, um, because uh, okay. my thesis is still there, uh, but as as a published paper that they just have in their archives. But um, and you'll see some similarities. But Monstrous was basically a two hundred seventy plus page version of that expanded, and sure. I'm, I'm so lucky that my editor approached me. But it was all due to that thesis. It's so interesting that you weren't like, this was never really your intention. You were just like, I'm trying to graduate. And like, this is a good way for me to do that because I've already been doing it. Like, this is what my thesis is. And I've already been journaling in this way for, in order to capture that expression Mm -hmm. of things that have been hard to articulate. And I think it's, that's the beauty of it. And um, you said that the thesis is not that, but you can find the bones of what monstrous would become within that thesis. Were there any things that made it out of there directly into? Yes. Uh, my depiction of Otakon, uh, the, the first anime convention that I ever attended, um, there's some scenes directly from it, just redrawn Mm. to, to better match the style. And then, um, in some ways, uh, the thesis, the final page is like in a nutshell, it shows like, me as a teenager taking off a suit and tie like Superman, except mm. underneath it's, it's Shinji Ikari from Evangelion's blood suit. <laughs> and it's like me like flying into this like space. And, and in a way that that very like principle kind of made it into monstrous. I love it. I absolutely love it. And yeah, without spoiling, like I feel like I saw myself so much in the pages, uh, especially in your younger years. But really, like I saw myself at the end, and I don't want to spoil exactly like this final confrontation that you have, <laughs> this final realization, but it very much, I felt mirrored mine, my own, only much later in my life because I did this at like 30. Like when I started mm-hmm. at 33 even, like when I really found that part of me, myself, Mm-hmm. And it like, honestly, I started to cry when I saw it because it was just so powerful. It's such a powerful depiction of what this journey can look like, not even just for an adoptee, but for someone just struggling with their identity, struggling to find themselves. I think another thing that really stands out to me about this graphic novel in particular being so autobiographical is that when you think about a memoir, mm-hmm. you think about how emotional 
that can be when you're in the process of writing it. And those are just like the words. You have the gift of not just writing the words, but then having these really, really vivid drawings that you are pulling from your own mind to represent and enforce and, and bolster every written word that you have down there. What was that process like? In oh, terms man. of like <laughs> managing and navigating the emotional aspect of putting your story into this form. Oh, uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for for those kind words uh, because uh, that is. Uh, ex- I'm going to try not to cry, but like, <laughs> what you said basically is exactly what I hoped would happen when people read the book. You know, um, and I also appreciate you mentioning that. Uh, you know, you think that it can and be applied to anybody who's struggling with aspects of their identity, whether they're adopted or not, because I really wanted this to have a global appeal to people. So I really thank you. And that means a lot to me. Um, Of course. um, So yeah, the, the hardest scenes to draw were like, basically like, imagine if you will, sometimes me like throughout the pandemic, I was working on this book. So there were some days when I'd be like, uh, today I have to finish, um, inking 20 pages, 28 and 21, uh, you know, and I'm just like going through. And then there, there were other like pages that were just so I was like crying during sometimes when I didn't expect it, it was almost a weird, Mm. like cathartic. It hit me out of nowhere. There were some scenes that I thought I would be really upset while drawing and I was prepared for it. Then there are others that I was just like, why am I crying? This really, I didn't realize that um, certain things were still affecting me, you know? Um, But then there were other things that felt kind of terrifying, but also really good to to get out on the page. Like I I felt physically sick when I was drawing some of the uh, internal, like inside the body stuff. Cause that's, that's a phobia I still kind of have. Like literally just today while I was working, I put on a YouTube video first shot was like uh mickey mouse inside a giant's mouth because i was like i'll i'll look at this video about fred moore the animator and it came up and i was like oh minimize go oh my god and i was like oh and like i still felt myself like having heart palpitations i was thinking man still affecting me but that um it felt good to get those images out on the page though and I, i would say that even for the things that um were were emotionally difficult because it felt like I was almost getting a poison out of me in a way, you know? Sure. Um, but, uh, and, and not necessarily in an, I don't think in an unhealthy way too, because I was trying to keep it nuanced. So in many ways it, it felt like, uh, there's a scene where, where Sarah in high school even does the thing that monstrous was aiming not to do, but ran the risk of doing, which is letting all of your internal anger pour out of you in a venting sort of ranting, mm toxic spew of like hatred you know and um sort of thinking everybody's against me i i can't trust anybody and you know that might protect you to some degree but that's that can poison you really badly you know um so uh it it, the book was very cathartic and uh, uh i i would say the hardest things though to draw were in some ways figuring out how to draw these these vague figures that were supposed to depict my mind's eye depiction or, or, or image of my biological parents. Cause I have mm. nothing to go on. I felt there were times when I, I, I would think it's almost like I would snap back and forth between two different brains inside my head where one of them, um, was, was like, um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I hope that 
I hope that I, I get across that this figure is smirking, you know? Sure. Um, and then there were other times when I'd be like, is this too much? Oh, I, I don't know if this is me. <laughs> like, oh, is that like mean? And all kinds of things. Um, yeah. So it was very emotionally volatile, uh, you know, being isolated from pandemic, you know, and like just huddled over the, the Cintiq, <laughs> like doing it for like about two years. And, um, but I, I would not trade that for the world though. I think that was, um, I, and I really appreciated the opportunity to tell the story, the way my editors let me do so much with it. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. And on the note of the biological parents, I love the depiction because I've recently been grappling with thoughts of my first family. And mm -hmm. one of my big realizations is that I literally cannot imagine what they look like, sound right. like, smell like, that aura. Mm -hmm. Like it is, it, like it's it become, it's impossible for me. Like because mm -hmm. I did so much of just not thinking about it or suppressing, like consciously suppressing the idea of who they might be. Right. Like I can't, it's it now in this moment at 33, I cannot even come up with a, a visual idea. When I watch movies, or anything that has like a birth parent style storyline where they come up. I'm like, that is not who I imagine when mm. I imagine my family. But in your story here, I can imagine the shadow and the mm -hmm. smirk and the diff, just the, just the subtle hints of what a personality could be. And right. I feel like that is a kind of depiction that we hear articulated some a little bit from adoptees, mm -hmm. but we don't see visually and this mm. is the first time I feel like I've seen a visual depiction capture what I've felt inside of myself and in my own mind when I try and think about biological family in that way. Right. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess the contrast is those smirking, shadowy figures acting like, you know, now we can move on and, uh, you know, like now we're unburdened by this, you know. And, right. and the contrast, I guess, was like fifth grade Sarah thinking – maybe it's like the moon princess, you know, like with, <laughs> right. with queen serenity. And, uh, cause in a way, I mean, there's some, there's cartoon storylines that often kind of touch on things like that I feel are similar and, or that I did think were similar as a kid, you know? Sure. Um, I, there's even an episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the 87 cartoon where it's, uh, turtles, turtles everywhere. And it's an episode with lots of actual regular turtles that are being captured. And there's a sea turtle that has, has to lay her eggs and the turtles have to rescue her. And Michelangelo starts crying when she swims out to sea and <laughs> they play, the show plays it kind of for laughs. Cause it's, you know, it's a lighthearted 87, you know, cartoon. Right. But like I, I, as a, an adult, I latched onto that when I rewatched it, I was like, wow. And then I remember as a kid, the um, there's a scene in secret of the ooze, the, the live action yep. second movie where they find out, Oh, you you were created from this ooze, and Donatello, like you know the Jim Henson Muppet like character costume. It's like getting real emotion from it, you know. Yeah. And there's this part where he's so melancholy and he's really sort of depressed. And as a kid, I remember specifically really liking that scene, but I couldn't quite articulate why. And it was because he he says something like, "I don't know. I just I thought there'd be more to it." And 
I, I can't believe that we were just created like an accident. And as a little kid, I just remember thinking, oh, I really like this, you know, like, <laughs> and, and I, in some ways it's, it's really, I think that as a kid, I was just recognizing that they were showing a side to a character that you don't often get to see yeah. um, in a movie like that. But I, I really, as an adult, I've come to really appreciate those little moments because I realized how much in a way turtles were always representing some of that for me. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, it's a, it's wild to think about how they people even probably unintentionally can capture some of that really layered nuance that is super specific mm-hmm. to what we have as adoptees, transracial right. adoptees specifically, in this unknown of family mm-hmm. that we that a lot of people never get, and to have it articulated in a way in a heightened fantastical way is wild because it makes it accessible to think about. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of that, at the same time, because we are young and we're children and because we don't have a language to articulate why that's affecting us in that way, it stays buried. And maybe not buried, but at least it's like we almost keep it to ourselves. Is that a conversation you're able to have with anyone? Like when you were seeing these depictions specifically from the turtles that you're like, I need to just like share this with somebody and be like, this affected me in a way. I don't know what it is, but I just wanted to tell someone. (laughs) Um, yeah, there were certain things, I mean, there were certain things that would really make me, you know, upset as a kid, like, yeah. um, you know, of course, everybody, I think, regardless, Bambi, <laughs> you know, oh, and, yeah. but, <laughs> yes. um, the, you know, the land before time, I remember I was forced to watch that movie at daycare and it really Oof. upset me. Yep. And, um, it, I mean, cause it's just so depressing in general in many ways, but like, I, it's weird because like I used to get I had separation. I, I'm I'm sort of armchair diagnosing, but I had separation anxiety really bad from sure. my mom when I was a little kid. Um, and when Same. she would leave me at preschool. Same self-diagnosis. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure. You, you know, and, and I don't know if that has if our particular brand of separation anxiety has anything to do with, you know, what one could could construe as possibly deep, deep seated fear of abandonment, you know, just fear of like seeing somebody walk away. Sure. Um, and I, as an adult, I'm kind of editorializing some of the things, you know, that, but I, I can't help but wonder if that, like, that Land Before Time thing was double or triple or quadruple layered, you know? Sure. Or if it was just, oh, the sad baby dinosaur sad, so I'm sad. But um, I, I asked a lot of questions of my parents, I think, more so than my my sister did, you know? Yeah. And... I, I probably heard kind of the same things over and over again from my dad, like in terms of that, uh, uh, from what they saw in the papers, you know, allegedly my parents were Fisher folk, but I, I'm, as I've gotten older, I'm very skeptical of that. Not because I don't believe my dad, but you know, because I, I don't necessarily believe with more research that I've done, you know, on birth reunions and things and birth searches. I don't really know if I can believe that that's true. So I have so many mixed emotions going back and thinking about like what things young Sarah thought about and wanted to know versus how I kind of view even those, those questions that I was asking, you know? Sure. Well, it's like, we don't get an opportunity to think critically about it and we're never Mm -hmm. taught or modeled how to do that in terms of our own stories, maybe in the stuff you learn in school, maybe in certain other situations outside of that, like an Mm -hmm. extracurricular setting. But when it comes to your own individual story, rarely, if ever, I'll say anybody, not even just adoptees, but anybody is taught to think critically about like what you're seeing or experiencing. 
Right. And yeah. parents are doing so much work to just try and protect yeah. their child, whether no matter how, but no matter how well intentioned the impact, we just don't know until you're in your teen years or you're, you know, young adult, 30, well yeah. on, you know, yeah. it's just like hard to even fathom. Definitely. I, I think I read on, um, there's a Facebook adoptee group, uh, Korean American adoptees. Um, and it was, they were talking about, somebody said, um, that whether you realize the issues that you have to unpack, um, or that are, are just built up in your brain, like stacks and stacks of things as an adoptee, a transracial adoptee in particular, um, those issues with racial identity, you know, and, and hurt from possibly racism, even sometimes, unfortunately, within adopt, adoptive families, you know, um, that's going to come out, whether it's when you're 10, 18, or 60. And right. they were saying it's like a ticking time bomb. You don't know, but at some point, it's like the bill comes due, you know? Right, 100%. And yeah, um, I think my anger is actually what, as a kid, I had a lot of anger. And I think my anger is actually what kind of, in a weird way, helped me to come to terms with those things. It was the fact that I got, I would get so enraged over, um, you know, racism and things that people, even strangers would do as a young person. Um, and I still grapple with that even after the events of the book, you know, to be honest, I still dealt with a lot of things um, when I went away to school. But uh, in contrast, you know, I, I, I can't really, I, I don't want to name names, but in contrast, there are people that I've known who are in a similar situation to me in terms of being a Korean adoptee that I know they experience things like sure. that. They experienced in sometimes the same racism, but they would always sort of act like I was the problem for getting so mad about it. And I think that I was sort of a walking just representation for that thing in the back of their brain that they were trying to keep suppressed. So I get why they pushed me away but uh, and didn't want to talk about it. And in some cases denied that that was even happening. Uh, but you know, at the same time, I, I think it's, I got to live the way I see fit. So yeah. we're, do you grapple with anything like that in terms of people, either, either maybe your past self or people around you who sort of, uh, suppress it or want you to suppress it? Oh, a hundred percent. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because it makes me think of this saying hurt people, hurt people. Like, mm -hmm. And especially within community, like within this community, I have 100% seen folks, because we run just the, the gamut of different experiences mm -hmm. that we have, and like we, a lot of it's either you fall on the hyper abolitionist side, or you're like, oh, I really love adoption, and I'm so happy that this happened to me. Mm -hmm. And we don't make a lot of space for like that in between that gray area. And I have definitely witnessed, particularly in the Facebook groups, where there's a lot of invalidating that happens mm -hmm. of other adoptees mm. because they don't have the same experience that we have. And Definitely. because we are, regardless of what the experience is and not to invalidate those people, like that they have a certain viewpoint of their ado of adoption as a whole mm -hmm. in their own experience because of what happened with them and because of what they grew up with and because of whatever traumas and abuse that they might have faced or whatever right. it might have been like they have those things and that is why they have this particular viewpoint and yet those things fuel 
the work of invalidation that they might do to someone else who has an opposite experience. But just because they have that opposite experience doesn't mean that it's not as valid as theirs. And in those moments, I wish that we could find ways to come together and have a good conversation about it because I think we can help each other in a way because we Mm -hmm. do share the lived experience of the transracial adoptee identity even if the actual lived experiences that we have as individuals is far different. Yeah. And because we can have some of these common or baselines, we can then step to each other and like really help each other heal and think about things in ways that we just aren't capable of because of said experiences. Right. And I think that's one of the things I love about this book. And I keep coming back to it. It's just that you talk about, you know, trying to capture some of this nuance and not, and you talk about how the scene where teen Sarah like almost goes in the opposite direction of feeling and releasing the anger and placing whatever that might be on, on everything external, which mm-hmm. I think is totally valid and are able to work back to this point of, Oh, there's something inside too of myself that I need to recognize and find embrace Mm -hmm. not to spoil but embrace and heal in a way and i think that's why it's so powerful to me is because again with the visual element accompanying the dialogue that's happening right there i think it's so so powerful and it is that that bridge that Mm -hmm. that uh connects the two different sides in a way that we don't see very often and I think well, that's such you. a, yeah, I think it's such a powerful representation of how we can have that conversation, not just with each other, but within ourselves. Because mm-hmm. if we can't have the conversation internally, then we, it's going to be really difficult for us to get there in terms of a community conversation. Right. And so, yeah, I've definitely experienced that within the community, definitely outside of the community. Like mm-hmm. there's invalidation that happens all over the place all oh, the yeah. time. Like <laughs> my favorite one to call out is just the people who go, well, I know so-and-so they're adopted and they're fine. So uh-huh. like you, you're, you're off your rocker. Like you, you are an outlier. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh God. And you yeah. get all these labels and right. it's like, well, at the end of the day, I can boil it down to, you don't know that you're just speaking for this person. And yeah. so you don't know what they're even going through. Yep, definitely. And, and so it just happens from all sides at all times. And it's hard to navigate. Like, to be honest, without without things specifically designed to help us learn about how to navigate it, like this mm-hmm. book, like the scholarship and academia that's out there, like these kinds of conversations that we're having, without those things, it's hard to know how to combat. How did you learn to like, start to navigate those things man uh, i want to say it came it came like in a very you know kind of i i I think there's an actual graph term for this but i don't (laughs) remember it's like you know like going up and and sort of plateaus and then up and maybe slides back a little bit you know it was very gradual and there was a lot of ups and downs uh because um i and i have to credit my best friend of like 20 years this year um who I met in college. I actually, I wanted to write an epilogue in the book, uh, showing, depicting the moment when I meet this person. Mm. Um, but, uh, and interestingly, this friend, um, you would think we, that, that they wouldn't maybe understand how, how I feel because they actually come from a, a pretty, um, I guess you could say well-respected Southern family. 
Okay. Uh, and they're white and, but their uncle by marriage um, was Japanese. So my, and my friend loved anime and we bonded over that first. Then I remember my friend was talking about um, maybe within the first three months of meeting um, was saying something like, yeah, you know, just, I feel like people don't understand or believe me when I say, no, I understand. I get Japanese culture. I, I it's a part of something I was raised with, you know, a little bit like, sure. um, and, uh, they, they kind of would, they would tell me about how some people don't really believe them when they say, oh yeah, well, I, I know this cause my uncle's Japanese. Um, and they'd be like, really? Like they, <laughs> they obviously, it's like, like they think that everybody's always in a family unit that everybody's identical to each other, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and I remember that this friend also just got it. I could just tell, um, when, when I would tell them about things that I experienced as a kid and how I feel about stuff. Like I would say, uh, man, it, it, I hate it when people assume I'm not American, mm. you know, I hate it when people assume that I'm Chinese or, or Japanese, which is not the case, you right. know, and, and, or if they find out that I'm Korean, then immediately they, they want to know why I'm not Korean enough, or mm. they assume I'm, I'm very culturally Korean. Right. And tell me just, about this. Tell, yeah. Can you say this? Like all of these oh, different things, they want absolutely. you to be the teacher now of oh, all yeah. of this culture. For sure. And, and my friend got that immediately. And I think there was this, some, I mean, we talk a lot about these things, but spoken and unspoken really uh, bond over just understanding that, um, that people make judgments. I mean, boiled down to its barest essence. It's, man, I'm tired of people thinking I'm one way just because of certain external factors. How about you? <laughs> like, so, <laughs> so they got it and they understood. So that, that was a big part of my, I think, healing. And I'm still really kind of trying to, I think, heal because I, I, I have good and bad days sometimes. Sometimes I can ignore racism if I experience it nowadays, sure. you know. Um, just the other day I had some guy on the street because I cleared my throat, say something racist, which really Jeez. pissed me off. And I was thinking, man, I'm 37 and I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I got mad at him and I yelled at him and I, I said some things probably I can't repeat here. Um, you I mean, know, you can. <laughs> I made some gestures, you know, and I was, I was pissed and he just laughed in my face. I was just so mad. And I thought, and this was like literally a few days ago. And, but then there's other times when I'm like, that doesn't bother me, you know, sure. and I might just ignore it and I feel good for ignoring it. But other times, you know, that waking up in the middle of the night, like, man, here's what I should have said to that guy. A hundred percent. So it still ebbs and flows, you know, but I think, um, I, I hope that that uh, people maybe who don't like to talk about those sorts of things, if they're curious and they read Monstrous, you know, I hope maybe it'll, there will be something that they realize that's kind of like something I've thought about, but sure. I'll come back to that and maybe it'll show them that it's okay to explore those things. Sure. Well, I like what you talk about you know, that anger that you used to have, I felt very, I resonated with that a lot in the book too, because I felt like I was angry for a long time. Didn't know what it was, why it mm -hmm. was, how to articulate it. And I just did like, and I was just, I was, I felt like I was very overly emotional about everything and like mm -hmm. things would set me off very quickly. And I feel like you show the journey of that anger. And like, even though we get to a certain point that's like, it's not where you are now. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going off to college, going off to do these things. And like, there's obviously more story to tell. Like you said, there was an epilogue and I'm assuming that would have been a good precursor for 
to be continued <laughs> to have a follow-up to monstrous fingers um, crossed <laughs> but i think it like shows how you can like you said how people can think about these things a little bit differently and recognize oh that is something that i have experienced a little bit and mm -hmm. kept to myself and so right. like you said you just had this experience where you know, some of that anger bubbled back up. And I think one of the things the book does is validate the fact that you should be able to feel those things. Mm -hmm. And it's not a bad thing that you feel them. And we have to kind of feel those things too, even if sometimes they manifest in destructive ways and even sometimes harmful ways. We don't want that to happen. But especially right. when we're children or when we're even adolescents, teens, mm -hmm. young adults, like it's going to happen if we've never had the opportunity to unpack it understand it and work on oh, yeah. it i think one of the most striking things is your ability to capture the internal monster and give these feelings a visual of like what it is and create a personification of it can you talk about the process of how you created this vision was that always even when you were growing up how you envisioned this growing source of of discomfort and anger and all of this emotional things that you were experiencing or is that something that came up a depiction that formed as you were writing the story uh definitely it was something that uh i created as an adult okay. um looking back and editorializing what i was feeling um, it's definitely an adult creation. Thankfully, I think I would have been, I mean, things would have been a lot harder if I imagined, if I saw that in my mind's eye as a kid. Sure. Um, but I did try to incorporate aspects of things that I found terrifying as a kid, you know, just, okay. I, uh, certain, uh, it's probably some weird amalgamation too, of like any like startlingly frightening character from scary stories to tell in the dark with the teeth. I have, right. I have a thing for teeth with, with fearful images um and then it the inky black tears that it cries is is more adult editorializing symbolism but um uh, it's the idea that it's it's you know forged from ink it's forged from a drawing and in a drawing inside my imagination sure um but i have to give like ultimate credit i think would go to jean luen yang um for american-born chinese the thing that probably I don't think with without this character from American Born Chinese, I don't think that monster depicting internalized racism would exist in Monstrous. Okay. And that is the character, God, it hurts to even say it, but the character's name is Ching Ki mm. um, from American Born Chinese. And it uh that character was was portrayed in a very sitcom, very tongue-in-cheek, satirical way. And when I read that book, um, that like that graphic novel as an adult, you know, that really had an impact on me because I before then I I probably hadn't even thought about how to, uh, you know, portray uh, and depict internalized racism, and that's what that character symbolizes. Okay, all right. Well, I think it's amazing because, and the reason I feel like it's such a good depiction of like what's growing inside of you because I feel like the monster is literally part of you and you can see how it like pulls out of you and becomes this heightened thing and i feel like it it feels like it's not a separate entity mm -hmm. it does feel like again this is part of me that's grown because of these experiences right um it, yeah and and i did try to keep some of the shape language implying 
um, young Sarah's character sure. design with the uh, the pigtails with like the the hair that's like sticking up yep. out of it. It's like that becomes kind of the the monster's profile in terms of the sharp, spiky like fur that's sticking out. Yeah, in a way, it's kind of weirdly cute. I think like <laughs> in like in some scenes, I'm like, sure. it's not Hi. merchandisable for sure, but like, <laughs> and it's certainly not something. If if I have been signing any books, you know, like I don't. I don't draw that. Like I'll draw sure. like the little hamster creature from Maker <laughs> Comics instead that I did. But I, it's not like it's not like, hey, thanks so much. Like here's the creepy like internalized racism monster. Right. But yeah. It, you know, I wanted it to still somewhat be able to convey some, like elicit some sympathy during that final sequence we've sort of been talking about. Sure. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it. It's so <laughs> so good. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore. But. It is. I mean, I've, I, I, that makes so to, so much sense that you kept some of that visual language and to lead into that final scene. One of the things that it was that it made me think of is this character from New Mutants, uh, the comics No Girl. So oh. she, when she her mutation develops, she like her physical form changes, mm-hmm. and her mutant ability is to like go into your dreams and make your dreams real. And like, it's really like visceral and surreal in, in a lot of different ways. And just like, again, like the way that the, the internalized racism monster grew, it just like, I don't know. It just, it, it felt very reminiscent of that. And because it came out of imagination too, mm-hmm. it was like growing out of your own brain a little bit. Like it just made me think about that. And I didn't assume that there was an inspiration there, but that was just one of the things that I kept thinking about, maybe because I've been rereading some of these new Jonathan Hickman X-Men comics. Um, mm-hmm. And she's pretty prominently featured in one of those. But yeah, I just thought, and I just thought there was so much, there was similarity there, like crossover uh, with that character. So yeah, just something. That I, I am super about. flattered by that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, absolutely. Honestly, like, um, and I guess another inspiration would be a Evangelion. Yeah. A lot of the, the kind of uh, imagery from the Avas is just so very, you know, the Ava's without their armor on, mm. things like that, you know, the big leering um, mouth and the the big eyes that are just staring at you. Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, I, I appreciate that. I'm like, that would be a dream is to like even work for Marvel someday. But yeah. <laughs> We're going to make I'm it excited. happen. We're going to manifest, <laughs> manifest for sure. How do you feel like your relationship is with that emotional part of it now, especially having gotten a lot of that emotion into this story that is now out in the world for everyone to see to be shared publicly and widely how do you how is that relationship with you now from an emotional standpoint in terms of navigating all of those different things you can feel in um, at a moment's notice um i would say i i think like weightlifting and i've i've had like some slide back in my progress because of the past you know few months of just always like having to forego the gym routine but i'm getting back into it definitely physically lifting weights and just getting back into that like that's something that i think has had a massive impact on my mental well-being um and not just because oh exercise releases endorphins you know i i think uh on that level yes but then i think for me personally a lot of my anger came from feeling like there was this plethora of voices just constantly sort of in a weird way. Like this sounds so weird, but like, it's almost like everything that I experienced until I was, well, 
even now, like with that guy on the street, you know, it's like there's constantly you're fighting off these like whispering voices that are saying you're weak. And mm. it's like coming from everywhere. It comes from a look, comes from people snickering, comes from people. Maybe you're you think you heard them say something racist, but you're right. like, I can't like I I'm not sure, you know, if that was what they just said. I hope they didn't say that. But, you know, that that kind of feeling like there's this constant fight almost against it. You know, you it's almost like like the stressful video games where it's like <laughs> sometimes it's like even a, a bonus game or something where it's like you have to like keep tapping a button at a certain rate right or like the light will go out and like you know then when you turn the light back on uh, there's like the enemies are closer yep. it feels like that like you're constantly fending it off um and i think that feeling just just physically improving my strength uh kind of for uh just a self-image thing i definitely sure I like I like sort of having a larger upper body than I did when I was younger, you know, <laughs> yeah. and so that that definitely helps a lot. But um, I and I know this sounds quaint, but I, I go for a lot of walks. Uh, I think that moving to moving to the city where I can actually walk around the harbor has helped me a lot. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, in Savannah, I would walk, but I would always have to sort of drive my car to, you know, um, uh, downtown and park somewhere and then walk, you know, but sure. Now I feel like I can walk outdoors a lot. Um, so that helps. It just, I think it just helps to have time when you're not, you're not letting daily just life and work distractions right. interfere with you, at least letting yourself be and like letting yourself work through it, you know? Yeah. Well, you get a um, chance to just exist. Like yes. <laughs> in the way that even working and like, I don't think it may be that I could be wrong, but like telling this story is probably a blend of work and just like personal release in a way yeah. that a walk can potentially be. But you're also like, there's also the part of you that's like in almost like a business sense, like, okay, this is something that is going to be part of my portfolio, part of the work that I do. Right. And then like to have something where you can just get away, whether it be weightlifting, whether it be going for a walk, where you can just exist as yourself without mm -hmm. the pressures of producing is yeah. something that I think everybody can benefit from. Definitely. Um, and, and I have to admit, not that I'm, not that I'm a, a proponent of, uh, like embracing too much anger, I guess, but <laughs> there have been a lot of times when anger actually fuels my drawing, mm. uh, and not necessarily that it comes out in, not like I'm drawing nothing but angry faces or something, sure. but like there've been times <laughs> when I'm like mad about something and I'm like, I'm so pissed about this totally unrelated thing. I'm going to draw, I'm going to work now on a turtles page that, um, and just let that kind of high heightened energy, like drive me through. Yeah. And, um, I, it, you know, it's sort of like, what's that, that phrase is, uh, the best revenge is a life well lived, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, also at the same time, you know, you don't want to be thinking too much about those people who made you mad while you're like, you know, getting your revenge by living that life. Right. But, um, yeah, well, I, I, I I, I think I've always had just like too much energy. I think that's my problem. Sure. Well, and it's just like we can release all of that energy, whether it be anger, whether whatever it might be into mm -hmm. one particular thing, but having a multiple different pursuits to be able to release it is good. And also like, like you said, you can be angry about as something un completely unrelated and then do really great work. And it's like just the emotion that you feel can empower you in a way because it's like i'm gonna take this and use it to be 
to do something better, or even like think about something just different in a way. Mm-hmm. And like when I experience anger now, I've gotten to, and shout out to therapy, but I've gotten to this point where I can like, where I don't like that I necessarily feel it, but in whatever the situation might be, but I've, I understand now that I can like, I feel the anger and then I stop and ask myself why. And like, right. where is that coming from? And even if I don't use it to channel into something, maybe I'll go for a walk. Maybe it's just it exists for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But after feeling the anger, I can start to like really unpack and deconstruct it in a yeah. way that I never used to be able to do pre-therapy. Mm-hmm. I would just do it and then just be angry and stew and then kind of like try to move past it and forget it. And right. now it's like, how does that, like, what was that doing? Where was that coming from? And then that process allows me to then be inspired to do something, to create, to sit down and like just talk into the mic for 20 minutes about whatever that might be. And it actually, the anger becomes something, something beautiful in a way. Right. It creates something constructive, right? Exactly. I mean, in some ways, I kind of feel like your, your account on Instagram, where you talk about these things and you broadcast them out there and you, you make the posts that have you know, your, your thoughts. Mm. Um, I, I really like in many ways that's, that's angry, Patrick, I want (laughs) to say maybe fueling a good, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're like, I'm going to take this anger and make it something that helps people, you know, and and articulates it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a little bit like that. And I'd say that it's like, and it's especially looking back on my previous, on my, on my experience and pulling some of those moments where I did feel a lot of anger mm-hmm. and trying to not turn it into something different, but trying to reframe in a way that serves me right. in a way that it really detracted and extracted from me in the past. Now right. I'm at a point where I can like mold it into something just a little bit different yeah. that not only serves myself, but hopefully can help serve other folks who might feel a similar way or have sure. a, a similar experience. That was the thing that stood out to me about, about your account was like, Oh my God, when I saw like one <laughs> of the first things, you know, where you had written it, like your thoughts. And I was like, Oh, okay. This person gets it for sure. You know? <laughs> and I can't remember specifically what it was, but you, you talk about a lot of intimate things that adoptees face, you know? And I was like this, I feel seen. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of like with the reframing, um, it's sort of like when two people are dis- are talking, are exchanging words, it could be an argument, mm-hmm. you know, but then it could be a discussion. Yeah. Um, and kind of like, um, uh, you know, rather that if you disagree with somebody, it's almost like you're having this within yourself. If you disagree right. with with some portion of yourself, the destructive anger is like <laughs> arguing back and forth, but then like you might say to your, you know, asking, why am I angry? Where's this coming from? That's like, you've changed it into a discussion. Right. And, you know, externally people, you know, doing that, that's like, that's something that I've, I try to do, I guess, or ignore, but you know, um, if I read a comment that I don't like, I'll try and sort of make it into a discussion if I choose to engage, you know, online. And I, I've tried to do that in recent years with like, if I feel like it's safe to do so, obviously, but um, you know, with, uh, encounters with, you know, people who say racist things, you know, um, now I'm, I'm on a good day. I'm probably more likely to say to them, um, that's, that's really racist. And (laughs) I don't appreciate that. 
why why do you think that you know or even just saying why do you say that you know that kind of thing yeah um or even joke about it you know like you know if they give you the dreaded uh uh fake chinese speak you know and uh heavy quotations around that but like i'll i'll sometimes you know if that's if that happens now it's you know i've said um i'm sorry i have no idea what you're saying you know (laughs) kind of and and it's kind of a fun way of like just watching the shock wash over their face when they realize uh you just spoke to me in perfect english i don't what i'm like yeah you know yeah when you flip it on to the perpetrator Mm -hmm. it is it's not only feels empowering for yourself but it like hopefully pushes them in the direction to have the discussion right and i think your graphic novel does that in a way that we just haven't seen yet and in a way that's going to reach more people who fall outside of that particular spectrum of film and television watcher and i think it's really really important for us to have something like this to be able to have a different type of discussion well thank you yeah (laughs) i um ironically i I'm afraid to articulate this wish. It's such a big like hope, but I wouldn't say no to a film ad- adaptation if that ever happened, you know. A hundred percent. This should hoping- be a film. <laughs> well, I I feel like that's very uh, on my part, I feel like I'm I'm being too like, I don't know, I'm being greedy, but it's you know, I'm I don't know. I just I have this dream that, you know, I hope that one day it would uh, be like half animation for the imagination portions in different styles and like half live action. Just yeah. saying, but, but I, I thank you for saying what you said about it, reaching people. I, I really do hope that it'll, uh, even if somebody's kind of maybe just thinking like, I'm tired of my friends sort of, uh, stereotyping me because they think I'm the jock. Why can't I study hard? You know sure. what I mean? Um, even something as simple as that, I feel like everybody comes up against that conflict that is is uh, rooted in the story of Monstrous a lot, you know, yeah. um, throughout their lives in varying degrees. And a lot of people just never, never think about it and how much it affects, affects them, you know, uh, 100%. When, uh, like what you said with uh, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. Behind every chauvinistic attitude or you know, every, every kind of, uh, scoffing remark, it's something at some point in that person's life, um, you know, cause them to feel like they have to put up some guard or hurt other people before they hurt, you know, they get hurt themselves and they're often not even aware of it. So, um, and I mean, not to say I, I still make a lot of like mistakes, I'm sure, but I, I at least, I think being aware of those things that's, that's really hurting you inside is like a, big first step I, I think it's it's more terrifying when somebody is almost like just totally unaware of it and they just go through life and don't think about it that's more terrifying to me than somebody who who uh is hurtful with intent you know a hundred percent because they're not aware like you said they're not aware of the harm that's being caused i right. literally in my just my my last episode of the show i talked about three core memories and i talk about a memory i had in college where i was basically doing that I was, mm. I had internalized so much. I was such in deep rejection of my identity that I was outwardly harming people. And I wasn't even mm. aware that that was happening. Like, I got you. And yeah. it was just like, and it's just like, that is worse in, in a mm. way. It's more dangerous because we, because they are not, that person is not going through the process of like addressing where their hurt is coming from and how they're projecting it outwardly. Right. Like, 
and it can take it took me then another 10 years to get to the point where I would actually start doing that and so mm-hmm. that means for another at least a decade I was doing that in ways both subtle and outward that I just didn't know and so now uh, one of the reasons I do all of this is because in the back of my mind I'm trying to make up for all of this pain and stuff that I have most likely caused over that mm. first 30 years and while I can give myself grace for that like not knowing mm-hmm. I also am like I don't want other people to go through that experience particularly from the side of the perpetrator and right. at the end of the day we can all perpetrate it we the the one of the most difficult things realizations that I've come to in this community is that for some of us we are so harmed that we then weaponize our personal harm against other people. And even if we don't realize that we're doing that, it's still happening and we Mm -hmm. have to have a conversation about it because it's not to invalidate what you're going through, but also like you can't use that to hurt then other people, especially within your own community. For sure. Um, Do you, do you find that you had mentioned earlier at the beginning of the uh, episode that you grew up watching anime and um, were, I, I guess, can I assume that that means you appreciated Asian aspects of pop culture or, you know, but I, I, I guess my question is, having said that about, you know, you having grown up watching anime, when you were going through those times of like deep anger, did you ever find yourself um, like almost targeting people like Asian, other Asians or um, making fun of Asian culture, like in an, a, like a way to kind of push it away? Did you ever find yourself doing that? Oh, a hundred percent. And mm. the interesting thing is, is that when I was watching those shows, like, an, like different animes and stuff, like I wasn't watching that from the lens of like, oh, this is cool because it comes from Japan or it Mm -hmm. comes from Asia, or it's Asian-centered, or anything like that. It was like, I was viewing it through a white lens. And like, I didn't see myself, when I saw an Asian on the screen, when I saw like Jackie Chan, or Jet Li, or anybody like that, I didn't view them as like, oh, that's me up there. I viewed it as like, oh, there's an Asian person. And then Mm -hmm. I guess I would make the jokes, I would do the stereotypical things, and was Mm -hmm. so blind to it all, that because I was just trying to push so far away from it, Mm. that that's where a lot of that harm became internalized. And so not only was I harming myself, but then again, that self-harm would project outwards and harm other people. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I asked that because, um, I didn't do that necessarily, but I struggled with very uncomfortable feelings whenever I would encounter other, uh, Asian, uh, especially, uh, not so much like my classmates, because there were a few, you know, and, and I mentioned this in the um, in the author's note at the end of the book, that there were a few minorities in my environment growing up that I didn't depict because I didn't feel it was my place to tell their stories. And sure. in some cases, they um, one of my friends in high school was also a Korean adoptee and did not um, kind of took on a similar attitude to my sister, where it was kind of like sure. that that doesn't happen. I don't know. I mean, I'm fine. Like everything's fine. Um, and, uh, was probably thinking, why are you so mad, Sarah? (laughs) You know, like, why do you have to like be a pain in the ass, you know? But, um, yeah, I, and I, I, 
my sister used to make fun of me for watching anime in Japanese and would like kind of do so I'm in in some ways I feel like I can kind of connect to my sister a little bit through asking you that and I appreciate that yeah no I feel like <laughs> I was a, an amalgam a little bit of both you and your sister and like the ways <laughs> that I would be like oh I'm fine there's nothing wrong yeah and then also be like but was also very emotional very angry but right. didn't know why. And then people would ask me why I was so angry. And then yeah. I would just come up with, I don't even know what I would say. Well, it's like, right. oh, I didn't like that joke for whatever reason. But it wasn't because it was maybe about racial <laughs> bias because I was making those same jokes myself. Right. But it was just like, it was just there. And again, mm -hmm. I didn't have the language to articulate what was there. It just was. And I just sure. unleashed it. Yeah. Um. I really appreciate you coming on here to talk about this. And I'm just looking yeah. up at the clock now and it's been almost an hour and 10 minutes. Um, Time has flown, honestly. <laughs> and I told you that it is like 30 to 45 30, and yeah. we have blown <laughs> right past that. Um, so we've covered a lot um, without spoiling too much at the end of the book, too much of the middle and end of the book, which I mean, the whole thing is incredible. The end really, really just like hammers it all home. And I, I really appreciate everything that you depict there. And again, like Thank I think you. this will be looked upon as one of the most valuable resources that we have in this community at, in this moment in time and hopefully for all time. Um, I think it stands that test. And I would be very surprised to not hear it start to be referenced more and more, not because of this conversation, but just because like the more, the longer that it's out, the more opportunities there are for people to come across it to stumble across it at the bookstore, to pick it up at the library if it's at the library, and again, find themselves having this discussion. And I think it's super, super important. And you, whether you feel like this or not, you teach so many different lessons to so many people who do end up picking this up. And in this conversation, you've dropped so much knowledge and, and gems and, and things that we're going to be walking away with thinking about. Thank who you. are you currently learning from? Who is giving you inspiration? Who are people that you're like, this is somebody that I am just constantly going back to watching their videos or reading their stuff? Who 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 are those people for you at the moment? Oh man. Um so I I go through obsessive phases, uh and, and they still hold on. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh yep. it's just I cycle through uh and I am very incredibly hyper well i always have been really but i I've, I've been realizing my hyper fixation on walt disney mm. um and listening to um the biography by neil gabler mm. about uh walt disney it's called um walt disney the triumph of the american imagination <laughs> and as as rah rah and like patriotic as that sounds um it is a very nuanced uh, depiction of him and his life. And it also discusses a lot of his flaws because he wasn't a perfect person. Sure. And I, I just want to make that clear for people <laughs> watching and listening. I'm not, I don't agree with certain things that he did. Um, but I, and I find that so inspirational though, like the things that it discusses, like his weaknesses, like his worst moments, the way that he felt anguish when he was a child because he was physically abused by his father he had his money withheld when he was really young. He came from a life of sort of feeling bereft of certain things. Mm. Um, and because of that, it actually, I, I'm finding in a way that I think of it as more like, that is what you were talking about, you know, like turn that anger into sure. something creative and make something. So I, I just, I think of um, 
that book as as really inspirational while I'm working. Um, and I've listened to it like two and a half times now. Okay. Um, because I, I really one day I want to make a comic about the life of Walt Disney and kind of utilize a similar thing, you know, that Monstrous did, where it's like certain things that he um, experienced and how they impacted his creative works. That'll be a, I'm going to need a good, like copyright lawyer behind that book, but like, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, but yeah, I, that's been really inspiring me. And I try to think about that in terms of, um, you know, he, he could have just stayed where he was and, and put up with it or, you know, but he did really hard things and he somehow still managed to, to make something really incredible through just like sheer (laughs) force of will. And that's really inspirational to me. And just, um, you know, uh, I can't, I guess Dr. Romani on YouTube is also an inspiration because sometimes if I'm experiencing, experiencing something where I'm upset about, I'll be ruminating over something maybe that I experienced in a, a, a past friendship or something that kind of is coming back and is, is an issue, you know, like interactions with, um, toxic narcissistic behavior on the part of, of, of ex-friends. Mm. Um, I will sometimes just find myself binge listening to her YouTube videos because she'll discuss it. Um, and it's, again, it's that whole like name, name what the problem is, name the fear. You sure. know? Um, so learning about NPD and all those things that were at play is like such a help to me because I'm like, if I can understand what this thing was that that turned my life, uh, you know, upside down for that moment in time, I at least feel some comfort. And I learned so much from listening to her channel. So I guess right now that those are the two I can say. Sorry, that was so long. No, no problem <laughs> at all. I uh, am going to link both of the both of their work in the in the show notes below. Definitely that book about Walt Disney. That's interesting. I hadn't I guess I've only come to know the <laughs> the not so great parts of his life. So right. and I feel like that's what we talk about a lot. So I definitely want to check that out. Um, I was surprised to learn from that book that he actually employed quite a few minorities early in his uh, studio. Interesting. That people don't realize um, there was a Chinese American animator who worked uh, during the era of Bambi. So in like the 30s and 40s hmm. that I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> that is cool. That is very interesting. Um I'll definitely be on the lookout for your adaptation of that book. Um, <laughs> you can probably get a jump start because Steamboat Willie is now open source, I believe, and oh, free man. for everyone to now. Yeah, take. I can at least write and and draw the first three chapters of the book without getting sued. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sarah, before you go, I got one more question for you. Sure. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you shared. How do we, everybody listening, everybody watching? Everybody in this audience, how do we support you going forward? Is there anything that you're working on right now that we can purchase or or be on the lookout for? How do we support you as uh, we keep going into 2024? Uh, I guess the best way to keep up with my work, um, it would be uh, follow me on Instagram, please, (laughs) Um, uh, at smyer, M-Y-E-R, comics. Um, and I, I post a lot of, you know, work in progress stuff, a lot of like whatever I'm allowed to share of my turtles work. Sure. Um, and I promote my turtles comics, uh, that are coming out from IDW, um, on, on my Instagram account. I also have, uh, you know, a web comic that I update from time to time, as well as like any news that I have about convention appearances, et cetera. Um, I'm going to post that on Instagram. So 
Um, that's the best place to to find me uh, and find the most up to date stuff. Um, just uh, I guess in terms of you know um, uh, supporting things that I'm working on, I if you like turtles, <laughs> you know, buying that that comic and helping the team, I think you sure. know just by you know our sales numbers being good, that would be amazing. Um, I uh, would really appreciate that, but. Um, yeah, I, I just appreciate the support that I've gotten for Monstrous. And please, if you liked the book, you know, share it with your circle because I would love to see more people reading the book. Absolutely. Um, what's the best way for us to get the book? Okay, so Amazon has it. Um, uh, sometimes it's in stock on my shop, which is shop.sarahmeyer.net. Um I have to restock it. Uh, <laughs> and um, Macmillan's website, um, official listing for the book, has a, a lot of different links um, that you can buy it from officially. Um, but it is also, weirdly, it's at Walmart, and it's on Walmart and Target's websites. Okay. Um, I'm told from Eric Burnham, the writer of Turtles, uh, he was saying, hey, I found your book, Monstrous, in my Walmart, and he lives in Minnesota, so I at least know it's out there. Nice. Um, I haven't seen it in any of the Walmarts in Maryland, which has been kind of sad. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you can, if you just look up Monstrous, a transracial adoption story online, and there will be links to it. Perfect. Too. I mean, Minnesota Walmarts is the place to be. There's a lot of Korean adoptees <laughs> there, so that's a good place to market it and have it in stock. <laughs> Um, we will link to everything, all of those different places in the show notes as well. Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. We didn't even talk about your current turtles work. So we're going to have to have you come back to have that conversation and talk about all the <laughs> stuff that you've done with those comics, as well as have just more comic talk. Maybe we'll have a side show about just comic books in general, because I just love it. Um, that would be fun. <laughs> thank you so much for just giving a little bit of your time, giving a little bit of your story and for making time for us here on the show today. It really means a lot. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Again, everybody, you'll be able to find links to Monstrous, links to all of Sarah's work and her Instagram account in the show notes. And remember, new episodes of this show drop every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. If you want to support our show, please leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts on all of those platforms. Going to go ahead and throw another plug in here for Monstrous. If you've read it, leave a review on any of those review sites. That always helps with yes, those please. types of things. <laughs> those are really great to help support this work. You can also follow us on Instagram at Conversation Podpiece. You can follow me directly at Patrick in the World. And make sure you subscribe to our newsletter, Conversation Piece, the newsletter, out every Monday paid subscribers get exclusive access to our companion show conversation notes that drops every wednesday again i cannot wait for everything we have coming up in the rest of january as well as february and you we are all very honored and privileged to have been able to hear this conversation with sarah today and until all of the rest of the conversations drop i've been the titular patrick and this has been conversation peace see y'all soon